when the kids call and they say, hey, Dad, can you pick up Skyline? I'm always like, absolutely. I'm halfway there because you don't have to tell me twice. That's the time for our family to be together, and Skyline's always been part of our family time. Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar co-pays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. You are now listening to the Going Deep Podcast with your hosts, Kevin Massari and Mike Bunt, live from the Cover One Sports Network. Here we go. Welcome into another edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Massari, here with Mike Bunt, as always. And later in the show, we'll be bringing up producer Kevin to discuss not only the Bills' dominating victory over the Commanders, uh, as well as a big, large for Week Four, Mike, uh, regular season football game about as big as it can get for this this juncture of the season. Uh, but first and foremost, this show is brought to you by Sons of Erie. www.sonsoferie.com. Get out there and check out all of their great artwork and get it hand delivered to your door. www.sonsoferie.com. But Mike. How are you feeling today? Feeling great, Kevin. Uh, Bill's coming off back-to-back blowout wins. Uh, things are looking up for Buffalo. Uh, my Bobcats had a 38-7 win over Bowling Green over the weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm living in football heaven right now, and I can't wait for this monumental regular season contest against the Miami Dolphins, which, if we're being real here, this is probably the biggest regular season contest between the two teams since the Kelly Marino days, uh, as far as hype going into a game. Yeah, I agree with you because um, it, it, there's there, there's all the buzz. I mean, you have the uh, you have DVOA basically calling it the game of the year to, 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 to basically jockey for who is going to be in the analytical one seat of the DVOA formula. Uh, it's the one versus the two right now. The Bills have worked their self all the way up to the one, uh, the number one team in DVOA. Uh, just dominating performance, Mike. But I want to get into why the Bills uh, are, are number one right now after that Jets game. And uh, there's a lot of bad takes around football world, uh, even within our own fan base, about what this team might be. Are they going to be the year they have a bad record? Are they going nine and eight? Uh, a lot of lot a lot of talk about that football game. And really, there might be to, something to the Jets just having uh, Josh Allen's number. I didn't want to really believe it, but it does seem to be the case at least defensively, uh, I do believe that when they play later in the season, it'll always be a different game that they'll they'll be able to get that one done. But then, Mike, here's here's the point I want to make for later in the show. If we believe that, we have to believe there's something to Josh Allen now playing very well against the Miami Dolphins. 
So you got to have it both ways. Uh, and we'll get into some of those statistics and what he's uh, been able to do uh, uh, against the Miami Dolphins later in the show, you know, being 10 and two in his career there. So Mike, let's talk about this game against the commanders. We saw a dominating performance. Realistically, the bills played uh, very well across the field. Uh, they they specifically played very good defense. I mean, you know, we have a standout performer in Terrell Bernard. Uh, the Bills had, you know, nine sacks. Uh, I mean, there's just a ton to take out of this part of the off- offensive line, dominating performance against what was said to be the Washington defensive line as George came on the show and said, hey, if there's a way that the commanders are going to win this game, it's probably going to be with the Washington defensive line. And they did not, they were not able to be successful against the Bills offensive line, many of which uh, all five of which are in the top 40 in their position right now, Mike, uh, per PFF. So what are your feelings after that being a much discussed and maligned position group? It does feel like the influx at the guard position specifically and what Osiris Torrance and even Connor McGovern are able to do. And then we've seen some great play. What what amazing stunt play that he had with some help that Spencer Brown was able to have as well, uh, you know, switching off with Osiris Torrance and, and, and carrying the stunt throughout the day, Mike, how do how do some of those those early returns make you feel as they approach week four and beyond? Yeah, what, I, what I've seen the last two weeks has given me a lot of encouragement about this, this Bills offensive line moving forward. And we're going to talk a ton about the, the Dolphins today. Uh, we just want to get a little bit of Washington talk um, as far as how the Bills did in that contest before getting into Dolphins talk. But when you look at the offensive line, the the, the moves that they made this, this offseason are – already coming to fruition. Connor McGovern is an above average left guard at this point in time. Uh, He is a very good pass blocker and he's even getting by a little bit in the running game right now. He's not been the liability that some people thought uh, he would be in the run game. Osiris Torrance does not play like a rookie. He is already a very good pass blocking guard. His PFF grades as a run blocker could get better, but you're seeing a guy that that is protecting the quarterback. And how about Spencer Brown? Like, let, Time to give him some credit. I know he had a shaky week one against the Jets, but Spencer Brown now through three weeks is actually grading out decently. Not great, but decently. If you get Spencer Brown to play this way the entire season, the Pills will be more than, than happy to receive that going forward here, especially with how he contributes in the run game. And you don't really even need to talk about Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morris because they're steady and reliable. Although I will say Deion Dawkins is grading out as one of the best tackles in football early on this season. So the Bills are definitely getting it done uh, with their offensive line. And you're seeing improvement. They're committing to the run. James Cook is making plays. Uh, his explosiveness is showing off. Um, over 220 yards rushing combined the last two weeks. You're having Latavius Murray be able to come in in the red zone. Same with Damian Harris and get some yardage. Uh, the Bills looked very comfortable with some play action. Stephon Diggs uh, was toasting uh, Washington at times. So very good about the, uh, the, feel good about the offense, uh, especially uh, heading into a Miami week where the Bills have exploited the Dolphins in recent years. And the fifth ranked DVOA on offense really shows that they have been playing well, even though it isn't the explosive um, type uh, team that we're, we're used to seeing. And then, when you go to the defense, Kev, we could go, we could have an entire episode about the Bills defense, but it, it all starts with the defensive line and the secondary. We said all offseason that we thought this D line could be a top five unit in football. And right now, even without 
Von Miller, they are. Ed Oliver has 15 pressures through three games, which is second in the NFL. He is causing havoc all over the place. Daquan Jones has been a force. Uh, you look at Leonard Floyd, three and a half sacks right now. Greg Rousseau making plays. How about A.J. Epineza? You go on PFF, A.J. Epineza is one of the highest rated uh, Bills defenders in the on the team right now. He doesn't get all the, the credit. He doesn't get all um, the recognition. But we said going into this year, watch out for A.J. Epineza. Very good rotational piece. We knew the secondary was going to be loaded with Micah, with Jordan, with Trey. Uh, but the real big surprise, Kev, Terrell Bernard, man, if he plays like this, that defense is going to be hard for any offense to go up against. And this seems like the perfect uh, test right now. Miami loves to use the middle of the field uh, over and over and over again. They don't like going outside the hash marks. And here you have Terrell Bernard, who is grading out very well with PFF in one of his strengths is coverage in the middle of the field. I mean, Mike, we, we alluded to it earlier on the show, maybe a couple of months ago now of the profiles. And I, I pictured, you know, just easy to use in terms of, you know, Roquan Smith and his profile is so similar minus 12 pounds. And I'm not negating the 12 pounds. That is a thing. Uh, but the rest of the athletic profile is actually better uh, for Terrell Bernard factoring the 12 pounds. It's actually all encompassing a still a better athletic profile to the linebacker position it's not talking athleticism in general or, or life athleticism it is as pertaining to the linebacker position and his linebacker position that he plays is actually more athletic than Roquan Smith and able to translate better now does it always happen no absolutely not or people would just draft athleticism all uh, the entire time that is not how it works obviously there's a film factor uh, there's interviews there's there's a whole mess of things that aren't aren't factored in there and one thing that I don't think many Bills fans did was watch a lot of Baylor defense uh, and what they were able to do with Saika Ika uh, running a similar scheme. There was there was times when, um, you know, Baylor ran 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 a really unique system uh, in front of Terrell Bernard that proved that he was able to do a lot of different things defensively. They weren't just sitting in a four three and him playing outside linebacker. They were doing a lot of different things. They were running that that five defensive lineman thing with two linebackers behind him where, yes, he was technically an outside linebacker by trade, but he had a lot of middle linebacker responsibilities just due to the way that they play defense. And Saika Ika, who uh, at one point I thought the Bills could maybe potentially take in this draft, they, the chip didn't fall that way. They ended up signing Puna Ford, which shows me that they were probably somewhat interested in the nose tackle position in the draft. Um, and what Terrell Bernard was able to do behind that style of defense, that the Bill really poked the Bills' interest. And one thing I said was, Brandon Bean, I should say, said was, he was one of the best blitzing linebackers that he has ever seen and scouted. I mean, he can be blowing smoke. That's fair. Um, but you cannot say that about a prospect and then be wrong. Uh, the receipts wouldn't look great. Um, but he showed it on Sunday for the first time where he's able to get after it. He shoots gaps as well as any linebacker I've seen. And, and Brandon Bean threw a shuttle, subtle jab at the position a few months ago saying, you know, they wanted a different style of linebacker. They wanted to get quicker and they wanted to be able to cover running backs out of the backfield better and be better in coverage in general. Uh, which is kind of, I thought was a little bit salty grapes at the time. But if you check the metrics right now, the Chicago defense is absolutely struggling. Uh, Edmonds just let up 10 catches for not 80 yards. Uh, and it's been a mess. Uh, now it's not all his fault. Absolutely. That team is a, that team's a train wreck. Um, but it is funny that Kansas city who knows him well, targeted him specifically in pass coverage. Uh, and then meanwhile, you have a great play by Terrell Bernard 
who is drifting into coverage, making a really hard read in the coverage that he was in against Howell, hence why Howell threw it. Um, a lot of times those linebackers will pop up and try to defend the over the middle. They don't want to get beat there for something in, in front of their face. He drifted and drifted and read his eyes so well. And then there comes the athletic score, Mike, his broad jump, his, his, his ability to go up and get the ball. People ask why they test for that. It's those situations to where you're attacking a ball in the air. And yes, it's not, it's not thing for thing. But that's why those things get tested. And he showed uh, what he was able to do uh, in his athletic profile to go up and get that ball uh, and just be a game wrecker. You know, Miles Garrett had a three and a half sack day. But um, did they announce the defensive rookie of the week yet or player of the week yet, Mike? I, I haven't heard that yet, but okay. just, to it might be tomorrow. just to continue everything you were saying, Tremaine Edmonds is everything physically that you want in a middle linebacker. Yes. He's big. He's fast. You look at him and you're like, this guy should be a star in the league. And Tremaine Edmonds was a very good linebacker for the Bills. I'm not going to get in arguments and, and never tell people he was bad. He was a good player for the Bills. But what you're seeing a little bit now from Terrell Bernard early in the year is what how instincts can play a role and make a difference. Terrell Bernard might not be the biggest linebacker. He might be very small by middle linebacker standards, but – his ability to have a feel for the game, when to shoot a gap, uh, when to make a play, when to sit back in coverage and, and be able to read a quarterback's eyes. We're seeing he is capable of splash plays. Those were what we're missing in recent years from Tremaine Edmonds. The two sacks were, were great. Um, the, the one blitz was great timing by Bernard. The other one, being able to get through, read the play on the, I believe it was a read option, and then get to to how it was good in the, in the interception, the next play uh, it's just, those are impact uh, type plays that change uh, the course of a game. And when you look at uh, Bernard going forward, I don't know if he's going to be a star. I don't know if he'll, he'll be great, good, mediocre, how his career will end up going in Buffalo. But what you can see is a linebacker that fits more of what this defense is looking for uh, going forward. They want to be able to have their linebackers, just be able to fly all over the place and be able to keep up uh, with some of these athletic tight ends and running backs, as you said earlier. And Eric Turner was saying on his film review, don't know if you had a chance to see that or not, that when you watch Bernard, it, it's almost like you're seeing a little bit of Matt Milano, which is uh, pretty scary for, for opposing defenses. And I know people would be like, well, the Bills are going to be vulnerable against the run uh, because they're running a nickel, they're running – Two, two smaller linebackers. Well, right now through three games, the Bills DVOA is six uh, against the run overall. So that really hasn't been the case. The Bills have actually been decent so far, uh, stopping opposing offenses from running the ball. So uh, it's only three games. We'll see how it plays out uh, over time. But it's clear that over the past couple of years, uh, the Bills just got tired of certain teams being able to take advantage of, of certain parts of the field. And Terrell Bernard... Uh, was the solution to an issue where you weren't going to be able to keep Edmonds. And they, I, I think the Bills felt a lot stronger about their uh, outcome than many Bills fans did. Um, I had it on pretty good authority that the Bills, that Terrell Bernard looked great throughout spring. Even myself included, I was like, well, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but it was it was well regarded throughout the Bills locker room how he was going to command a huddle, how he's going to. And, and one of the most impressive things I saw, Mike, to kind of couple this point, was him calling out the defense. He was commanding uh, coverages in, in the middle of that game when the game was still within reach. 
Uh, he was absolutely adjusting to what he saw Sam Howell do. He is the play caller of this defense. When a defense plays to number one and number two talent, uh, DVOA, whatever you want to use, whatever box score stat you like, uh, any of those things, he gets the flower for it. Just like people were very worried he couldn't call a game defensively. But at some point, he is the one calling McDermott's game, and he is making those checks and those reads uh, at the line of scrimmage. Even mid-play, Kevin. Like, the, you watch yes. the tape uh, of him basically communicating, you got that guy. Yes, <laughs> and then that's right. reading, uh, there's one of the plays where he where Eric was breaking it down, where he told the one corner, you take him, uh, Taron Johnson, you take that guy, and then I'm going to – and he ends up – I'm communicating this horribly, so I apologize. But just his ability to to communicate that out and being able to process it real time, that's very important at, at the middle linebacker position. And so far, uh, you combine his athleticism, his instincts, his communication ability, it looks like they have a guy that's going to be solid for them going forward. Yeah, I have to give him his flowers. I still believe he he should win defensive player of the week uh, for, you know, not only his play that he's put on the field um, and as well as, you know, just his communication, what the Bills in general were able to do in their in their in their game uh, is impressive. And I think there was a lot of Bills fans who just didn't realize, like, I'm not sure. It was kind of those that narrative, um, that whole situation of an echo chamber, Mike, where people, someone said they were worried about his injury history. Someone said, I don't think he plays middle. Someone said he's Milano's, um, which is a good thing. But someone said, you know, there's been much, much talks about whatever he is. And no one really wanted to know what he actually is um, and what, you know, development looks like in his scheme. You look at like Trent McDuffie for Kansas City, who's now grading out to be a top five corner in the NFL uh, much many people think that 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 he the Chiefs jumped the bills for him don't know if that's true uh, they did have a conspicuous trade up inconspicuous trade up at some point in that draft took the same position you never will be known uh, to really how much the bills liked Kyrie Elam in that draft but in the same draft, they receive a prospect who now is going to be making a million dollars replacing a guy making 20. It's kind of the, the ultimate contradiction, Kevin. We we have a portion of the fan base that is calling for Kyir Elam to play almost every week and wanting him to specifically play this week uh, yes. against Miami to shut down Tyreek Hill because they believe that putting in a second-year player that can't even see the field right now for the Bills is better than the options ahead of him. But at the same time, those were the same fans that didn't want to see Terrell Bernard be given an opportunity because he was a third-round pick and they hadn't seen anything from him. Uh, at some point in time, uh, you're contradicting each, yourself when you're when you're saying stuff like that. And a lot of people, they didn't believe in Bernard, not because he didn't have the talent, not because he never had the, the ability, the communication skills or the instincts, but because they hadn't seen it for themselves. And I think that's the point of all this, Kevin. While fans never saw Bernard, the team did during practice, like you mentioned. They knew what they were seeing. They they drafted him in the third round for a reason. And we've been saying it a lot of times in some of these conversations that if Bernard at the end of college at Baylor, he was a dominant player. He, he was a good pass rusher. He got, I believe, seven, close to seven sacks his senior year. Uh, he was good in coverage. That stuff was obvious on film from the first time we, we really got into that stuff last year. And if he was just a little bit bigger, People would have been hyping him up as a first-round pick talent. It's just because everybody kept on saying he looks like a safety. Well, 
like you said, the echo chamber ended up being a little bit too much. And now we're seeing why the Bills believed in him all along. Yeah, and thank, thank you so much, Carl. We really appreciate it. And, and, and yeah, I've talked about this point many times recently. The O-line looking good, which is one of the biggest uh, talking points of the offseason. Running backs looking good, which was discussed. Are they going to go Derrick Henry? Are they going to go Delvin Cook? Are they going to make some move? Is it if, if uh, you know, Gibbs falls or if, if um, Bijan falls, which are both good players, uh, what would the Bills have done? Middle linebacker was a huge gap. Everyone's saying, you know, we're going to have to win in spite of the middle linebacker. Cornerback two has been talked about ad nauseum. Uh, what they're, they're all checked at the moment. I mean, they are all checked at this moment. The defense is playing top two in the league right now. Uh, the running back, the running game looks really solid. The backup running backs, there is a nice rotation. I mean, the bills are giving 20 plus carries to their running backs every week at the current moment. There's really not much to be said. Harris says certain things. Well, you get Murray, some bursts from Murray in there as well. Uh, it is a really good unit as compared to years past. Uh, the O-line is as good as it's been in a while. So, yeah, I mean, there there really isn't those immediate holes that we were thinking that might be there even after uh, the preseason that we were thinking could be there, uh, especially after that big Steelers loss, that uh, that Super Bowl uh, preseason game that the Steelers played in. And, and the Steelers are picking it up after they're dismantling week one. They kind of hung around enough to be two and one themselves. Uh, but what is their biggest weakness and who is their weakest link? I don't to answer your last part. I don't think the Bills have a weak link. It might still be corner two. You know, who knows what Benford can do? Well, we'll find out shortly here as we talk about the matchup shortly. Um, but I'm still watching corner two with a close eye. Uh, but other than that, you know, maybe it's the depth that safety. I haven't really loved Taylor Rapp in any of his packages yet. I was expecting to see him a little bit more, uh, and we haven't really seen it. You're kind of nitpicking here, but just to kind of answer the question. And then also a, th a, a, a third receiving option for Josh. Like, I'd like to see Dalton Kincaid develop into that third receiving option, as well as they're really, I mean, Hardy's been ineffective. They really can't, Sherfield, they really don't get him, the, they can't get him on the field. Um, you know, Shakir's making, I think, more timely plays than either of those two, uh, but they don't seem to want to give him reps. So I would like to see that third weapon develop uh, at the receiver posi position specifically to kind of ease once people really start honing in on that 12 personnel. I'd like to see that uh, that receiver weapon come and be another option. Maybe that could be a trade target. There's going to be enough bad teams in the league to where. Maybe Brandon Bean feels like he can stick somebody with salary and take a, a big-time receiver, especially now could be a tiny bit more likely without the Gabe extension yet uh, that they might uh, be interested in a, in, in a receiver uh, that could really, really help this offense down the stretch. We'll pause that for a month, and we'll, we'll kind of reconvene on that, Mike. But what do you think the team's biggest weakness is? There's, there's some small holes, but to me, they've proven to not really have that key weakness. But to me, it's that uh, extra they're, they're really, option. They're really – aren't many weaknesses on this roster right now. They, they address depth. Uh, I, I like the starting O-line right now. The, the early metrics back that up. We know yep. they have depth at O-line too. Now when you have Ryan Bates and you have David Edwards as your, your backup guards with Bates also being the backup center, uh, backup tackle. But I mean, like, let, let's be real. Deion Dawkins is elite. So uh, you're hoping never to have to sit him anyway. Uh, I, I, if you are looking at a weakness on this team, you're probably saying a wide receiver behind Stefan Diggs isn't great. Uh, maybe uh, you go cornerback behind uh, Trey White isn't great, but Benford is stepping up pretty well right now. Uh, Bernard is stepping up well. So it's really hard to point out to any position and say they stink because the, the metric people would tell you, well, the Bills backup running, the Bills running back room isn't that great. But I, I think the Bills running back room is better than 
what they get credit for, and they have experience and talent behind Cook. Um, one thing I did want to say, too, about the defense through these three games, that their DVOA, obviously it's second in the league, um, but overall it's a, a minus 37.4%. The Browns are minus 48.2%. The yep. Browns are having one of the historically great starts defensively to a season, according to DVOA. It's like a top 10 in the last like 20 or 30 years through three games. Yeah, the Bills are not that far behind what the Browns are at this current moment, which really tells you like the Bills are playing uh, incredibly on that side of the ball right now. And I do want to just address one quick thing before we get into this Miami matchup and bring Kevin Syracuse up. I, I saw one of the comments um, saying, not sure how it's a contradiction um, for people wanting Elam, but not wanting Bernard. This is the contradiction. People wanted Elam to play in spite of not knowing anything about him as a player, but yet they didn't want Bernard to play for the exact same reason. They assume the negative on Bernard. They assume the positive on Elam because Elam is a first round pick and Bernard is a third round pick. That is where you contradict. You can't say that you believe one person is going to be good. Another person is going to be bad when you haven't seen either of them play a large enough sample size to even know what either player is. What you're going off of is assumptions and where they were drafted. You have no clue who's going to be better, who's going to be worse. To say otherwise is just, it's it's just incorrect. And, and one thing I do want to, we're going to talk about this during the show today is the talk about playing Kair Elam in this game. It's, it's a popular topic. A lot of people talked about this in the preseason during training camp about if Elam isn't one of your starting corners, do you have him as a matchup guy? Uh, in Miami. And I'll, I'll just tell you my my quick answer. It's no, you do not play Kyrie Elam this week. I don't even care uh, if you think he's a matchup guy. If it'd be one thing, if Elam was the number three corner on his, on this team right now, he is not the number three corner. He's the number four corner. And if you listed the number of corners on the team, he's the fifth corner because Taron Johnson is the nickel corner. So Correct. you basically are, taking out a guy ahead of him that hasn't played poorly at all just to play your second year player that can't even see the field the last three weeks. That is, that that's just, that's not going to fit in well in a locker room. And I'm not saying it can't happen, but Christian Benford is going to be the, the starting corner opposite of Trey white on Sunday, Taron Johnson's your nickel corner and Dane Jackson should be the fourth corner overall. I understand people think, well, he did good against Tyreek Hill last year, and he played well against the Dolphins. I respect that. Like, I really do. But if you put Kyrie Elam in there after sitting three straight games, and then he gets burnt on a couple plays, you're going to have corners, and you're going to have other players on that defense thinking to themselves, why are we playing this kid that couldn't see the field three weeks ago against these other teams, but then we played the best offense in the NFL, and we suddenly think he's – when the kids call and they say, hey, Dad, can you pick up Skyline? I'm always like, absolutely. I'm halfway there because you don't have to tell me twice. That's the time for our family to be together, and Skyline's always been part of our family time. There's a reason Bowling Green State University is ranked number one in Ohio for student experience. Our in-demand degrees and life design program prepares students for their first career and their next with an unparalleled support system at a national research university. 
BGSU offers an unrivaled experience, all on a vibrant campus in one of America's best college towns. It's also why Bowling Green State University is the number one school in the Midwest that students would choose again for the fourth year in a row. He's better than what we have. That's not logical. That In that case, Elam should have been playing the last three weeks. Elam right. didn't play the last three weeks because the coaching staff doesn't believe he's one of their four best corners. Yeah, and I want to talk a t- t- tad bit to finish up these points. Uh, one that, Mike, Mike, you mentioned to play earlier, you watched Terrell Bernard back up Matt Milano, actually take charge of him, uh, put him in position uh, in coverage, and then carry. See Samuel uh, come across the field as well as a, a guy, you know, Dotson, that was supposed to wreck the Bills secondary, was, was someone that was spoken really highly of last week. And he diagnoses the play properly, and he carries the deep receiver. Uh, he carries the receiver deep and shuts that play down. I mean, it was an impressive display, not only from the communication piece, uh, one that I don't know where he'll score PFF. I don't know what he'll get in, in, in any advanced analytic for that. Um, you know, maybe beside a, a check mark somewhere. Uh, but it, uh, but the statistics, you know, PFF does great in an individual play and probably will rate him well for that play. And, and I think he got like a 94 uh, last week where Milano and uh, – Milano and Bernard are now, you know, close to top 20 linebackers and they're climbing the ranks of being one of the best duos in the league already. Uh, but you watch him back up the defense and carry the receiver, something I never thought I'd see from Terrell Bernard, but his coverage levels elite. We'll see against this, the speedy uh, run game of Miami between Devin A. Chain uh, and my guy, I really like Raheem Mostert. So you're, you're going to get in a situation to where that's a different style of game. He's, he is absolutely matchup fast enough for this. Uh, and that's where the Bills are feeling better uh, in, in certain situations. But to watch him carry that receiver deep and to take away a play uh, was very impressive uh, for, for early in his career uh, and for the production level that the Bills are able to get out of him. People are looking for splash plays out of this position. That was a big talking point for uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, one that we never really got to see was still a very solid player. Uh, and I don't ever mean to besmirch him, but you got the splash plays, more splash plays. I think it was as many as as, as Edmonds had in a season, I believe. Uh, I, I can't remember the re- recall the exact statistic, but he had just as many positive impact plays in one game. Uh, so that's the, that is the thing that people were looking for. Uh, from their middle linebacker and are now receiving it. And much goes to the the style of Brandon Bean, really, to jump this early market and say, there's a ton of speedy, fast receivers like Jalen Waddell, who, you know, he's going to need to uh, play a role in covering. I believe he'll be back from his concussion. Uh, and, and it's going to be very pivotal that you have a, a linebacker like him making $1.1 million, just a side note. So the value there is, is it's excellent. trending, Kevin. This is not something yeah, it's, that – it's not trending to the thumpers. Yeah, this is not just Buffalo. Teams are playing nickel defenses primarily right now, and teams are going towards smaller, better coverage linebackers. So this ain't 1995. This ain't 2000. Guys like these thumpers are not in the game as much anymore. They can't survive. If you can't cover as a linebacker, you are a detriment to your team. And I love this stat that this graph that you just brought up because I actually saw it earlier in the week. The bills are in the perfect area of this graph, Kevin. And why don't you explain it for everybody looking at it? Yeah. So this is the ability to sack, get sack percentage uh, against defensive blitz percentage. So blitz percentage would be, I blitz at a really high rate. If you're in the, in the, in the lower half of this, um, you know, toward the left of, of the graph, you're blitzing at a really high rate. Like the giants looks like they blitz at like a 60% clip and are getting zero quarterback pressure. Uh, that's brutal. But if you look at it from a bill's perspective, they're not blitzing and they're getting a sack percentage over 
15%. Uh, and then that's without Von Miller. So you're seeing the success that the Bills haven't had. I mean, I'm just going to call it what it is. Uh, you know, Leonard Floyd has been a humongous addition. Talk about a way to spend, you know, your, your six to $7 million contract. And then you look at Dalvin Cook and how ineffective he's been for New York in a way to similarly spend the same type of money. But the impact that the Bills are getting, not only from Ed Oliver, who's been amazing, you know, scoring okay with PFF, but he has advanced analytics are through the roof. Uh, His pressure rate's better than Christian Wilkins. He's doing everything you can ask for. He's been a pure disruptor uh, throughout the season. And Daquan Jones is is off the charge. And and their time to get to quarterback is some of the best in the league. So you see here that the Bills have been able to get to the quarterback without blitzing, which means now you still have seven guys in coverage. Meanwhile, your front four has been dominant. Uh, Jimmy G got the ball out of out. They tried to establish the run. Some of those inflated sack totals didn't happen in week two when they very well could have, uh, but they did even out the next week with Howell uh, as con- converse to, to Jimmy G. Uh, Jimmy G was getting the ball very quickly and they were just trying to pound the rock and were really down and didn't have any time of possession, but the Bills still dominated in the 20 minutes of offense that the Raiders had uh, in that specific game. So you see here that the Bills are the best team in the league at creating pressure and they don't need to blitz in order to do so. Whereas like a team like, um, you know, the, it looks like the Bucks, they're creating some pressure, but they're blitzing at a super high rate to do so, leaving them vulnerable in the secondary uh, and able to do that. And then a little bit more pressure that you even see from the, that Browns defense and the Chiefs as well are blitzing at a pretty high clip. Uh, so, uh, which we'll talk about our game now. We're going to use this to talk about the Miami Dolphins game, Mike. But did you have any points about how well the pressure is? Yeah, so uh, this is what the Bills were trying to do last year, too, when they got Von Miller in. You, we remember early in the year, the Bills were getting to the quarterback last year. And Von was on pace for double-digit sacks. Greg Rousseau was on pace for double-digit sacks. The whole philosophy was if you can rush four, you can let the other guys play coverage, and that's going to put quarterbacks in a bind. Um, but at the end of the year, that kind of fell apart. Von goes down. Daquan Jones missed the playoff game. Uh, Greg Rousseau had the high ankle sprain. So the pressure just went away late in the season for the Bills. Uh, they were forced to blitz more, and that was kind of when the defense started having some holes uh, in their game that we remember uh, late in last season's run. This year, healthy again. They're, they're going back to being able to get to the quarterback in without sending guys, which is a big reason why they're so successful on the back end, uh, which also helps. Vaughn is like coming back are. soon, Mike, and Vaughn so, will be here in a, anytime. So once Vaughn gets back, like it could be deadly uh, overall when, when you look at it, because yes. Leonard Floyd is looking like the Leonard Floyd of the Rams when you'd be scared of him. You pair him back up with, with Vaughn at times, that is very dangerous pass rush. And then obviously Rousseau is, is always a threat in both the pass rush and uh, run defending. So a lot to be uh, excited about overall for that. And now we got to talk some Miami and how the Bills stop this Dolphins uh, offense. Because after you allow 70 points, it's they're not going to score 70 against the Bills. But how do you slow down this team? Uh, I do think the Bills have some guys that could potentially create problems for Miami. But how do they do it? Yeah, it's going to be an amazing situation. And the Bills have reinforcements coming too with the ability to have an all-pro slash Hall of Fame uh, a pass rusher coming back. The reason Leonard Floyd picked the Bills was Von Miller. Much, uh, and, and even Levante David made a comment, hey, if Von had recruited me like that, I would be a Buffalo Bill right now. Well, it seems to be working out that the Bills put their money in Leonard Floyd instead. Thank God he didn't. Thank God he yeah. didn't. <laughs> and backed up with Terrell Bernard. Maybe there's something to GM Vaughn. You know, he's missed on the receivers. Uh, both Hopkins and OBJ have just been in and out of the lineup, haven't looked great, and both didn't sign in Buffalo. Um, 
And then he has been money with making sure that his people around him are, are producing. And he's walking into a situation now where he has Leonard Floyd and Greg Rousseau on the other side of him. And AJ Epinesa, we don't give the guy enough credit either. He was not great early on in his career. He was a run defender. He was heavy. He was light. He was heavy. Uh, we had some, some issues there with what we wanted him to play at. But, man, he's been a gamer, and any team in the league will take him as their third defensive end. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, he was dynamic. and Actually, he's like one of the best coverage defensive ends in the league, probably due to his pick six. Um, but I thought that that specific uh, stat was funny. And his, his pass rate, his defensive end scores are good. Um, and I know we want 27 sacks from him, but, like, the five to, to, to eight that he'll get are super useful. He's already got his one, you know, on pace for that five to eight. And making big time plays, Mike. So he is a guy that is grossly underrated uh, in this defense to the point where I'm saying it's a hit for Brandon Bean because the team is that deep. Yes, you shouldn't have need to go out and spent money on Vaughn but, and Leonard Floyd, but I like this team with Vaughn and Leonard Floyd on it. Uh, and now you have AJ Epinesa uh, on the roster as well. So he's a perfect he's, he's, number four defensive end. I mean, like, it, let's be it, real you're not good. getting a much, you're not getting a much better no. defensive end. And then he drafted Russo. I mean, I mean, Bean. Be, Bean had a really good redemption year so far with his draft choices. One where people were starting to talk about him missing in drafts. The Elam situation, the Boogie Basham situation were so large, uh, but we're forgetting now. Uh, now back-to-back second-round picks uh, that he's hit on, you know, dynamically. You know, we'll see what he's able to do with these third-round linebackers who all are, are coming around. Um, and even and if you count Elam as a miss, even if you count Elam as a miss, if Bernard's a hit and yeah. you had James Cook, the, the pick before, and then you have right. Benford in the sixth round, that's still a pretty good Pretty damn good draft. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's time to talk Dolphins. Uh, we there the words a lot to talk about. Just, just kind of bringing up the speed and their stats for days, Mike. We, you know, I have more stats that we could talk about the Commanders game, but it's it's time to talk about the Dolphins. This Dolphin segment's brought to you by Sons of Erie. www.sonsoferie.com, where Kevin, Mike, and myself are going to break down the Dolphins game and more. Welcome to the show, Kevin Syracuse. Uh, we have him ready and locked up to give us his top opinions of the Dolphins game. But Kevin, we're going to give you a quick 60 seconds. What was your recap and what are your some of your high level thoughts of what the Bills have been able to do so far in the first three games and the commanders? Well, if I could sum it up, I think that the defense dominated on Sunday. Terrell Bernard with a huge coming out game. And I think that's a welcome sign because this is a week that it comes down to. Obviously, there are many more weeks left in the season, but you want to ride that momentum going into this Dolphins game. And this comes down to Sean McDermott calling the defense versus Mike McDaniels calling the offense. And I think last week was a perfect game for McDermott and the rest of that defense to get confident for this huge matchup on October 1st. There you have it, Kevin. Well, we appreciate the insight, and it's time to talk Dolphins now, guys, uh, as we kind of look forward. And we've been talking about it as a unit. I've been asking questions, and we've been diving into some Dol Dolphins film and what they've been able to do with their motion. And there are some theories already being tossed around about how you stop uh, this style of Dolphins offense to a monumental 70 points. Uh, there was talk about whether they were being disrespectful. Mike McDaniel came out and said, I wasn't being disrespectful. I didn't kick the extra field goal to take the points lead. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk about what's perceived now with the Bills taking an L and the, uh, uh, the Chiefs taking an L to the Lions where, and you know, some, some, some falters around the AFC, the Chargers not looking great, a couple other situations to where 
it's the Dolphins now. And we've heard this game before all of us have. Um, and most notably, uh, you know, Tua has the same exact stats through three games, like literally the same exact numbers through three games that he had last year. So we've seen this boat and this and this and this thing before, Mike. Uh, but you know, this offense is dynamic. They were talking about, you know, being weak at the running back position. They wanted, uh, Delvin cook. They look kind of foolish for losing him to the New York jets. Uh, at one point, uh, Jeff Wilson, isn't my favorite player. Then he gets hurt. Uh, but then not knowingly they drafted Devin a chain, a nice looking young running back who I liked and had rated pretty highly. And then just underrated Raheem Mostert, a guy that's super good at the game of football, just is always hurt. So at some point, if you're not on the field, you're not good. Uh, but he is on the field and he's playing in top football right now. So they have two dynamic, fast running backs uh, to mix with their two primetime receivers uh, that they have. Jalen Waddle didn't even play and they still put up 70. I'm sorry to the to the Buck, uh, to the Broncos. Uh, this Washington team beat the Broncos, by the way. Uh, that team is pitiful. That is a pitiful performance. They gave up on the game. You do not allow 70 in the National Football League. This isn't college. This isn't uh, Alabama versus an FCS school. That's embarrassing. And Sean Payton has some real tough self-reflection to be what he was yelling about Nathaniel Hackett earlier in preseason. So that's a gross performance. But if you look to what the Dolphins were able to do, Mike, that speed's got to scare you. Yeah, the, the Dolphins have premier speed and they have, in my opinion, the most dangerous offense in the NFL. As far as your defense, you're going up against them. You're scared at any point they could take it for six. Now, Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster. In a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. Celebrity voice impersonation, not an endorsement. Why go to a single furniture store when you can go to Big Sandy Superstore? Shop and compare America's top five mattress brands, plus Nectar and Purple. And choose from over 22,000 in-stock appliances from the top brands at the guaranteed lowest price. Or furnish the room of your dreams with a large selection of American-built furniture. With financing plans for just about anyone, there's nowhere else quite like it. Big Sandy Superstore. I take Kansas City before I want, offensively before I pick uh, the Dolphins because I trust Patrick Mahomes more than I trust Tua. I would take Cincinnati once they have a healthy borough over Miami when it comes to offense in big moments. But as far as the ability of scoring on any given play, there's no team with more threats on their offense than the Miami Dolphins. It all starts with Tyree Kill. If, if Waddle's good to go, he's equally, uh, not equally, but close to being uh, just as dangerous with his elite speed. Raheem Mostert is uh, a force. And then we just saw uh, A-Chain really go off um, this previous weekend. Miami's scary uh, because they have all these guys, but then they also have one of the best offensive minds in football coaching them up. So they, they're coaching up uh, great, great plays, great scheme, uh, and they have ability to just take advantage uh, of other teams. And a lot of what we're seeing right now was stuff that we were seeing early last year. The big reason why they Miami didn't do it for a full season was because Tua was dealing with the concussion issues where he was in and out of the lineup. And then late in the year, some defenses started making 
um, some adjustments and they figured out some of the, the Dolphins um, plans when what they would do in certain motions and stuff like that. Well, McDaniels made an adjustment to those adjustments and now Miami's rolling again. But it is important to, to note, we're all going to be talking about that 70-point performance against Denver and it was as one of the best performances of all, all time, a historic performance. Um, but through three games, I, I believe the point differential, Miami compared to Buffalo, there it's only about three points different. And that's with Buffalo having a loss in their schedule and Buffalo allowing that late field goal against Washington. So while Miami's going to get talked about, like they're dominating opponents, they've dominated one opponent. They played the LA Chargers week one, and the Chargers had the ball with under two minutes ago with the chance to win the game with a field goal. So the Dolphins' defense got it done at that point. The Dolphins played New England. They had under 400 yards. New England was not doing well offensively that game, yet the Patriots had a chance in the fourth quarter with under two minutes to go to tie the game. This Dolphins team is not the second coming of uh, the New England Patriots or the Kansas City Chiefs. They have vulnerabilities still on this team. You can still exploit certain things. And everybody's going to be talking about can the Bills keep up in a shootout? I'm not anticipating Miami scoring 40-plus points on Sunday against this Bills team. And if you can't score 40, then the Bills have a chance to beat you because the Bills can score 35-plus any given Sunday. So I do think this is going to be a very tight game, and I, I have a ton of respect for Miami. But for, for Bills fans that are just quivering in fear or Miami fans overconfident basking uh, in – uh, enjoyment and happiness after scoring 70 points. Like, let's calm down. Like, this is a, a game that most of the metrics say is a pick em at this point of the season between two very, very tightly uh, contested teams that are one and two in DVOA. So I'm expecting a great game. I can't wait to break down these matchups because there are some things the Bills can do that I think could create uh, some issues for the Dolphins going forward. I think what's funny, Mike, too, is that they won against the Patriots on a review changed uh, offensive lineman reaching the first down. And I didn't think there was enough to overrule that play. Uh, but either way, the the the, the backup offensive lineman um, was was bringing it to the Miami 30 for a first new set of downs, which could have totally been a different game. Either way, to your point, there's a lot to be dissected as not just the Broncos. I heard it from actually these team three straight, you see three straight games off of the Broncos game where the other team is saying how good they were. The, the Raiders were saying could be scary. We heard the commanders, our new look team, defensive lines. Great uh, offense is getting it done. And now the 70 point performance off the Broncos three in a row off the Broncos, the bills took care of the first two. Uh, so this Broncos team uh, is leaving a lot of good taste in people's mouths. So that's, that's to be expected. And like you said, this is a bit clash of a, of a very, very good defense against a very good offense. It's not just going to go the way of the offense uh, to the 40-plus point tune. Uh, Kevin, so what is your initial reactions to, to what the Bills have been able to do so far as it pertains to defensively against the Dolphins? And do you think it turns into more of an offensive game? In which the Bills can obviously play in, or do you think it turns into where the, the Bills defense is able going to be able to win a few series? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Do you think that this would be a game where the Bills would want to get their running game going again? Because sometimes the best defense is a really good offense, and maybe you just want to get some long sustaining drives, get James Cook going, use your ground and pound backs with Damian Harris and Latavius Murray, and try to keep Tua and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle off the field that way. 
But then again, I mean, this is a Josh Allen game. You pay Josh Allen for games like this. And for as much as we might see the bad sometimes, like against the Jets, this is a game where Josh might have to put the cape on like he did last December and put the team on his back because it could go back and forth 30 to 30 ball game, and we might need Josh to pull off some heroics. So, I mean, I see it both ways, but it's definitely an interesting talking point because the Bills running game has been really, really effective so far. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, sure. I, to, to answer your point, I, I do not focus on a ground and pound just to keep the clock turning against the Dolphins. The Bills offense can go toe to toe with, with Miami in this game. And I know I saw some comments saying, I don't trust the Bills to, to score enough to keep up with Miami. I, I don't, honestly, I think that's ridiculous. This was the number two ranked offense in the NFL last year. The Bills averaged 29 points a game, just a shade under. Uh, this Bills off, this, this Miami offense was around 24, 25 points a game last year. They like, let's not, let's stop acting like Miami suddenly has the second coming of the greatest offenses of all time through three games. They have the best efficiency stats and they have the best touchdown rate in the history of the NFL, but we're three games into the year. And one of those games, they scored 70 points on a team that is by far the worst defense. In the NFL. DVOA. Like yeah. Denver, their DVOA against the pass is 32nd. I think against the run, they're 30th. They, they are playing horrible, horrible football. And then that's not to take anything away from Miami, but this Denver defense, allowed Washington to score 30-plus points with Sam Howell against them. And we just saw how mediocre and average that Washington defense is, uh, Washington offense is, pardon me. So I, I just don't want to give them all the hype. The talk through the national media all week is going to be, this Miami team is unstoppable. They're the best team in football. Let's try to see them do it against a premier defense. When they played the Patriots, they scored 24 points. They had 380-something yards of offense. The Patriots' defense is comparable to the Bills' defense from a DVOA standpoint last year. And this year, the Patriots' defense is actually off to a a pretty poor start overall compared to where they normally are. So uh, let's, like, calm down about the the Dolphins. I I know we all get scared of Tyreek Hill because he's killed us in the past and he's off to a historic start. But this game could be 41-40, but I also see a scenario where this game could be 27-24. We act like every time the Dolphins go out, they're they're scoring 30-plus. The Bills played a game last year where they lost in Miami, and the final score was like 21-19. It's not guaranteed this is going to be a shootout. And Miami, let's talk about their defense, too, at some point. They're 21st-ranked DVOA defense. So, yes, Miami is off to a great start, number one in offense. But they're number 21 on defense. The Bills are uh, fifth on offense, second on defense. And let's let's talk about it a little bit. I finally bought into the fact that Josh is not great against the Jets. I'm going to give it to him. So we're going to talk about the fact of who he is good against, and it's the Miami Dolphins. And it's not talked about enough at the moment. I've seen it started to uh, to 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 spread around the internet. But Josh Allen has a pass rating of 106. 3,300 total yards, 31 total touchdowns, and five interceptions in the 10 regular season games against the Dolphins. I mean, that's not just a good game. That's not just a pat on the back. That's not a a, a good team against a bad Flores defense. Um, that's an epic stretch, one that's actually 
could be the top in the league against one specific team uh, after this week. I believe he will take it as long as he throws a touchdown. Um, so that is an epic performance by the Bills quarterback. And we've talked about it for weeks and weeks. And we had to talk about it in all forums for, for a week after the game against the Jets, how we can't beat the Jets and the defense gets to Josh Allen. And some of that is true. Um, I think that they'll be able to come over that and then in the next performance, uh, the next time around, but the, the, that Josh Allen is historically good against the dolphins. And even to this same team, po even post, uh, the Flores era, uh, into the, into the Mike McDaniel era to where he's still very good. And to the point where I think that's why they brought in Vic Fangio, uh, to be able to do some different things, uh, against Josh Allen and the bills. So it's, it's going to be a chess match, but Mike, you've got to brought up a good point. 21st either way, they're going to point to their, their slow start against the, um, against yeah, the I, I saw a comment here, 23 rated defense, please stop. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just mentioning what DVOA is saying right now. They are the 21st ranked defense, according to DVOA, which is a metric that is way more involved than just yards allowed and uh, points allowed. That goes more into deep ways of evaluating defenses. We use DVOA because they are much better for evaluating teams than traditional stats that people were using 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, and one of the biggest efficiencies against the rush, 26 uh, in the NFL against the rush, 5.1% is their DVOA, which means they're 5% worse uh, than average at stopping the run in any particular play, uh, which maybe leads to Kevin's point of the best – uh, the best defense in this game might be to get James Cook going, especially late, keep them off the field. That's really strange to say for a Josh Allen team, but guess what they've been practicing for three weeks, guys, long extended drives. We saw it against the Raiders, the time of possession monopoly. Um, and, and there, there's certain stats that show some of the defenses, the bills played once again, who doesn't Josh Allen play? He doesn't play Tua. He does not. He now, now what Tua is able to turn Tua turns the ball over. Sure, there's some crossover there. Josh Allen turns the ball over. Tua gets better field position, but he's not up against Tyreek Hill. He's up against the Miami defense. He can control the game that he wants to control based on how he feels the game is going. Right. And the Bills have one of an all time great. He's been able to to get those fourth quarter leads. He's done it against this Dolphins team with Tua uh, last season in a game that uh, he needed to have. So he's been in these situations before. And running the ball is going to be a huge, huge reason that the Bills are going to be successful. But these eight and nine minute drives uh, are going to be big as well. If, if we're going to go eight minute drives and then maybe Miami hits a big gainer, gets a field goal or scores a touchdown, and then another eight minute drive for the Bills, you know, these are situations to where your fourth quarter, you're going to get James Cook. Now, I've been upset at James Cook because I don't think he's been breaking tackles in the first half of football games. But the one thing I didn't analyze was he gets better as the game goes on. I didn't think he was that style of running back. I really didn't peg James Cook to be a good as a seat. I thought he'd maybe lose touches. They'd go to Latavius Murray late in game, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but what I dis didn't discount was the fact that the defense is getting worn down and James Cook is hitting big gainers, and he's great in the fourth quarter to where I'm analyzing it. I'm seeing, oh, this is looking a slow start for James Cook. The first half in all three games weren't great, but he is a second-half football player and one that I think that the Bills are going to have to utilize to the, the biggest extent that they can and rotate those running backs through uh, because each of them does a little bit, uh, something a little bit differently. And this defense is, to me, vulnerable in, in the fact of 
you know, this isn't going, you're going against Josh Allen, a guy that's historically beat you, Kevin. You're not going against the the ghost of Russell Wilson's past, uh, you know, Mac Jones, you know, you're going against somebody who, who is, is in tune with your personnel and is able to do it. And, and against a secondary that's still, you know, I love uh, Javon Holland. I think he's a really good football player, but I, I, I don't like much, especially after the injuries to the secondary position, there's not much there that I really like. And we'll see if Jalen Phillips doesn't play uh, with another nagging injury, which would be a huge loss to them, Kevin. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster, in a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and for what it's worth, Josh Allen and Sean McDermott, for that matter, have never lost to Miami in Orchard Park. The last time that the Bills lost to the Dolphins here was back on Christmas Eve in 2016 with Rex Ryan with that crazy overtime game. So I didn't realize that until just a little bit ago. Um, you know, obviously it's a whole different ball game this time around, but they are undefeated against the Dolphins in Buffalo. Yeah, that's that's an impressive stat as you see the including over the playoffs too. And, yeah, and Kevin, I, I do want to mention because I know we do have Dolphin fans in this chat right now. I do respect the hell out of the Miami Dolphins. So don't think that when I am saying what I'm saying that I'm disrespecting Miami. They're number two in DVOA. They have had a, a historically great start to the year offensively in which their touchdown percentage uh, is the highest, one of the highest rates we've ever seen, may, maybe the highest through three games uh, that we've ever seen. It's around 48%, uh, which is something higher than what Patrick Mahomes has ever done. Mahomes has never gotten to that 70-point number. The New England Patriots, when they had Brady, they weren't at this efficiency level. So I'm not taking anything away from the Dolphins. I said prior to the 22 season when a lot of fans and across the league were hating on Tua and saying he was never going to make it. I was telling Kevin last year that I thought the Dolphins were a playoff team. So don't don't mistake what I'm saying as me hating on uh, on Miami. I think Tyreek Hill is the single most dangerous weapon in the NFL. I'm not going to say he's the best wide receiver, but he is the one player that can make a play out of absolutely nothing probably the most dynamic player in the NFL, in my opinion. And you put Jalen Waddle across from him, that is scary for any defense. And I honestly don't even know, even if the Bills do match up properly and do everything the right way, if they can hold them under 25 points, even with that being said. So uh, when you're playing Miami, part of it is accepting you're going to probably allow two to three explosive plays, even if you do have a good performance overall. What I am trying to basically do is let's rein it in a little bit. Yes, Miami is great. 
And I and I want to give the Dolphins props. They're going to be a playoff team. They're going to win double-digit games this year. But I also want Miami fans to realize just because you are off to a 3-0 start doesn't mean that you can suddenly just start disrespecting the Buffalo Bills that have won your division three straight years and have dominated the series against you guys. Miami, the Bills have one of the best pass defenses in the league. So there are going to be things the Bills are going to do that will present difficulties for Miami unlike the Chargers and Denver, which are really bad at stopping the pass. So what makes Miami, to me, more dangerous now than what they were last year is the fact that they've established a running game and that they're not afraid of using it. Last year, they did not utilize the run, and they kind of became a little predictable at times. I think Miami could easily win this game. But this is about respect both ways, and I feel like, unfortunately, um, when we have these conversations, it's too much of – your team is going to get blown out by my team because my team is better. Like, like this is a 50 50 game in the truest sense uh, of, of that definition. And one injury we have to really monitor in this game and the bills, the last time they played them in Miami had a slew of injuries to the, to the tune of uh, missing a lot of their key players. We've talked about at at one point, McDermott was able to scheme up something in this game, Mike uh, uh, with, um, our favorite uh, player from UB in Ingram, Jamarcus Ingram. So don't forget that they've had a game in the docket with fifth and sixth corners on the field, a young uh, Christian Benford. They had to go to Elam at one point. Uh, We're talking about a game where there was, you know, no Trey, no Dane. Like it was, it was slim pickings and we're talking DeMar and we're talking Jaquan Johnson. So we're talking about a game where they didn't dominate the bills last year. Like I'm not the worst secondary we've ever put out with the The, worst secondary. this team's ever about that. I'm not, I'm not holding anything with Skylar Thompson against the Bills defense to any weight in this match. Well, yeah, that's, that's useless. Yeah, if you evaluate the two regular season games, and I understand that Miami is cooking more now than what they were last year, um, but the two regular season games last year, you had the game in Miami where the Bills outgained them by 250-plus yards, and it was really the offenses, the Bills' offense's inability to finish drives that led to a loss that week. And then – this this late snow game in Buffalo where Tua was good. Like he threw for like 230 yards. They they had some some good moments. And you can make an argument that Miami actually was in position to kind of take control in that fourth quarter. They had a chance to try to make it a two-score game and couldn't pull away. So both of those games last year went right down to the wire, could have gone either way. But this is not a situation where if I look at either of these teams, I, I'm not saying that I believe one team is clearly better than the other. Because I, I just don't think there's anything that in the metrics, the rosters, or anything that that lead to that. Yeah, I agree with you. And one big point too was uh, Connor Williams, one of their uh, playing really well um, at the center position, is is injured with a groin right now. Jalen Phillips, obviously, we talked about with the back. Um, so to the injury point, you know, uh, Eichenberg is their center too, and him versus Ed Oliver would be a major mismatch. Uh, in that in that situation and Jalen Phillips even if he goes isn't going to be as explosive self as we saw against Denver as that's causing him issues so uh, a couple of key notes there and Connor Williams has played really good football uh, much to what the Bills had to deal with last year um, you know they're going to have to face a situation to where you know that that could that could be a really painful situation to pop in Eichenberg uh, to the center position if they have to do that. And that could throw off the entire timing of what they do. Uh, so that's that can't go underrated in what uh, what this game could do uh, is Eichenberg is, is, is just a historically bad run blocker. So we're going to have to see what, um, if that amounts to anything, and then you're going to go with, you know, obviously Isaiah Wynn there. 
uh, from the guard position. Um, and probably I would, I would assume Robert Hunt. So, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be, um, an interesting perspective here on what the bills are. The dolphins are going to have to do at the interior O-line, but one part of this game we want to talk about now is the bills offense and their weapons and what Stefan Diggs has been able to do early on, uh, trending for, you know, near 16, 1700 yards. Uh, he's been every bit as much as the receiver one as the bills need no issues there. Gabe starting to make touchdown catches. We don't need Gabe Davis to go for 200 yards a game. If he's making a big play and catching a touchdown uh, and almost having two, uh, that's what the Bills need from Gabe Davis. Uh, and then obviously Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox as well. But Kevin, what are your opinions on the Bills uh, weapons as they're they're going to put out there on Sunday? Well, this kind of ties into a point that you guys were talking about earlier in the show, and that's the Bills really haven't had to find a wide receiver two or even just a third target. Gabe Davis has been boom or bust. Diggs has been eating like normal, but we really haven't seen Kincaid break out yet. And I thought that that was going to come last week against the commanders. When we were talking to George, he talked about how Washington plays at Buffalo nickel. And I thought, okay, one linebacker, this seems like a Dalton Kincaid, Dalton Kincaid type of day, especially with the weather forecast, but he only had two catches for three yards. So I'm wondering if we're going to see, some other guys get going here. Maybe that's Gabe Davis. Or how about Trent Sherfield, a former Miami Dolphin? He could be huge this week as he could help the Bills game plan for the Dolphins defense. So I'm curious to see if they look to use Sherfield more, maybe Deontay Hardy. And then, of course, are we going to see Dalton Kincaid? I don't want to say break out, but could he be more of a factor than just two catches for three yards? One thing you. important to note, uh, Kevin, is just – with Sherfield, he was on the team last year, but different defensive coordinator. I don't know how much he, he's really going to be able to play a role in, in prepping for that defense. Yes, he he can talk a little bit about some of the guys that he goes up against, but they're, they're going to be a different scheme this year. So I don't know how much that would really uh, contribute this week. That's True, but maybe be. just like the nuances, like route running. Like, hey, when Tyreek Hill goes like this, he's going to cut this way. Or, you know, just small Good things point. like that. I think what's key in this game too is getting pressure on two. We've seen some stats come out already that he's not being pressured uh, and he's being successful. So what would that mean that you need to do if he's being successful without pressure? That would mean you'd probably need to get pressure and you need to push it in order to do so. The Bills have been doing it as we showed the graph for a reason earlier at the best clip in the NFL with four. What's going to happen when they maybe take a guy out of coverage because quite frankly, there's mismatches anyways, and start to bring that extra guy to make him make his decision and stick to that first read. If he's able to sit back there and go through his reads, um, that's, you know, he's got to get the ball out now in a pressure situation, but one where he is in a timing situation where he knows where he's going to go with the ball, it should help in that scenario too, but it's going to be a spacing game. It's going to be confusing coverages that the bills do at the highest clip in the NFL, as well as, you know, his numbers were posted in in our discussion earlier by Eric Turner about his EPA um, being in the negatives when when a team sends five or six uh, uh, guys. And, you know, you're going to have to play off of that where he's going to maybe hit a big play on it. But at the same time, I think if there is a decision and a way to beat him to get him off the field more than um, than he's used to at this historic clip. I think you're going to need to send five guys. I wouldn't maybe risk six, but I think you're going to have to send five guys at a pretty uh, big rate for the Bills 
and one where he struggled to has struggled with the bills pressure packages in the past. And I think you're going to see that here in this game, as you break down the EPA in a, in a pass rush situation to where the bills front four has been, been really good. But then now you tie in an extra element of, of another player coming from whatever simulated pressure or whatever situation, whether it's a safety, whether it's Taron Johnson, whether it's Terrell Bernard, a situation to where we're going to have to bring uh, guys occasionally to show him different looks to where he's going to need to take that first read. And, and I, I want a gambler to. I want some of my DBs to gamble because these these receivers are going to make big plays anyways. I'd like to take the ball on a gamble. This is the game you gamble and hopefully have safety help over the top to where it's only a 30 or 40 yard negative. Um, but I want that gamble because you're going to need to take the ball away on a pressure package to the right, a quick hot read or a quick first time timing motion to the left. And I want someone right there jumping the route. And I just want to gamble in this specific game rather than sitting back against Sam Howell. That that's risky though, Kev. There, there's two ways of looking at it. You you can have the gamble approach and basically accept they're going to hit on some plays, and this is going to be a shootout where if we can get that, those one to two big plays defensively, maybe we get an interception or a, a takeaway, a fumble, uh, or something like that. Maybe that's the difference in the game. But then there's the other method where you can sit back and you accept they're going to get their yardage, but you keep them out of the end zone, or you do your very best to keep them out of the end zone uh, when you get inside the red zone. So there's going to be two different philosophies. How will the Bills address this? I'm not sure because if you're going to attack, you need to get to him or you need to get hands uh, in his face. And if Tua continues to get the ball out uh, quickly, that can create some massive plays for Miami, especially if you get the ball in the hands of guys like Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell in space. I don't know if we have an update on Waddell beyond that he was in concussion protocol earlier this week still, but probably not till tomorrow. I, I, I like what you're saying. And the bills have been able to get pressure on Tua uh, in the past. Those are some of the games where he has had injuries, unfortunately uh, to where um, that's, that's impacted him, but it's, it's one of those things. The whole philosophy of the off season was to be able to get pressure with your front four. So while I do agree with some of the gamble, Kevin, I, I am, I am a little worried about it when you're going up against an offense that has gone up to a historically great start. I want to bring the tears up for the reason for why I would gamble. And that, that would be my, because a, the cover two shell rushing three or four has been working at a historically bad uh, rate against. Uh, so there's some data already. Obviously the bills are better uh, uh, at a four man rush, you know, maybe the best in the league right now at rushing just four. Uh, that we saw earlier in the show. However, I don't want to just be passive in this game. I'm sick of losing to good offenses passively. And it's one talking point that we left 13 seconds thinking of. We left uh, other big games, uh, you know, maybe even the Bengals uh, with the, with the pushing back of the defensive backs in third and short situations. I want to be aggressive and I want McDermott to prove to me that his defense is good enough to overcome a big play. And as you see here, the bills, the, the bills defensive EPA uh, is third in the league, right? Um, and, and what, uh, excuse me, second in the league and third in the league offensively, but what they're able to do, uh, is create negative plays at a high clip. Uh, and what you see here from the dolphins is a historically good offense, but an average, literally average defense. Uh, you know, I think it's worse than average, but let's, let's up it to average based on their EPA. And what it's saying to me is that if the bills can make plays offensively, you can take those gambles and hedge your bet on defense. 
because you, you're, you're feeling pretty comfortable. Now, if it's a situation, Mike, to where they're not scoring and they're struggling on offense, you cannot take those gambles. My game plan uh, needs to be altered because you cannot let up a big play in those specific situations. But one where you're able to move the ball, you go up like you did uh, even, even three to seven in this game. And I think you can start to take gambles because the worst that happens is they tie the game up. Um, but you, 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 you have the opportunity to flip it into a two score game early on and take away and make them one dimensional in a sort. So to me, if, if you look at it, the bills have the defense advantage, obviously uh, in this game. So I'd like to see them be able to trust their coverage, disguise coverage, bring five uh, occasionally. I'm, I'm not saying at an 80% clip, I'm saying bring five. I'm not saying bring eight. I'm not saying play cover zero, um, but I am seeing a situation to where I want to simulate pressures. I want to make sure that he's feeling the spacing uh, and then he's taking his first read and hopefully causing him to bite. And I'm not talking about jumping a route that you're you're not sure of. I'm talking about situations to where you're bringing five and he has to get the ball out quick. So you're not you're not looking at a 70 yard pass downfield. You're looking at a situation to where, yes, if he gets the pass off, you just need to rally and tackle him. Sure, there's going to be a time where maybe there's a missed tackle in there. But I like the opportunity to where the defensive uh, EPA is for the Dolphins to where I can take this kind of gamble because, you know, even if you look at the 49er, for instance, or the, uh, the or even the Browns or defensive season that they're having, uh, you might not be able to take those kind of gambles because if they're stopping your offense, uh, it, it could it could cause you to be down in game. So I'm reading off that Josh Allen's going to be able to do be very successful in this football game, thus leading to gambles. And that's why I'd like to see an aggressive defense that we're sick and tired of yelling at this team for losing against offensive teams uh, by sitting back and playing cover two shell, playing quarters coverage. Uh, we have said that narrative for two years now. So are we going to continue to do that or are we going to do something different? Sean McDermott will have the answer on Sunday. Well, if we're, we're going to be real so far early this year, a lot of people have been talking about how the defense looks so much better with Sean McDermott calling the plays. But when right. you look at the blow, the the low blitz rate, it really hasn't – I don't want to say it's changed dramatically. I think they've just had a lot more success early on. Now, against a team like Why is Miami, that, though? Why do you I think mean, that would be? There's, there's nuances that go beyond my ability to break down the game of football. I'll have to look to Eric and, and get more information from him. But uh, a lot of what we're seeing is still nickel, not a lot of blitzing and high pressure rate, which is what we were seeing early last year before the, the wave of injuries that happened to this team. So I don't want to just assume that right now they're suddenly just having all the success because Sean McDermott is calling plays. Maybe that plays a, a role in it, but I don't think it's the, the largest role. I think they're suddenly healthy. They, they have their entire D-line that we thought was going to be potentially elite, healthy. Ed Oliver is playing at a high level. The secondary finally has Trey, Micah, and Poyer uh, on the field again which it had been two years since all three were on the field simultaneously. And the, the only major change is that they went with a with a quicker, more instinctive linebacker uh, with Terrell Bernard instead of Tremaine Edmonds. So maybe that does make that much of a difference. But what I want to see is if we're going to be talking about how great this Miami offense is, we, we need to talk about how great this Bills defense is. And I mentioned how the Browns earlier were off to a top 10 defensive DVOA season in the last 30 years of football. Well, the Bills aren't that far behind them. And this is going to be a great test uh, early in the season for philosophies of do you want to be more of an offensive oriented team or do you want to be a more defensive oriented team? Because this is really, in my opinion, two of the league's best going at it. If Miami comes out and they score 30 plus against this Bills defense, we're kind of going to get the picture going forward 
it's not going to matter if the Bills have a top five defense, if they're always going to get smoked against the best offenses in the league. This is going to be a true test to see if uh, does it really matter having a top five, five defense, because ultimately if it's a shootout, it doesn't matter if you have a top five defense, you're going to need your quarterback to always perform on a week uh, weekly basis. So I I'm really hoping this bill's defense shows up and can limit Miami to t- under 24 points, because if they can do that, we'll know going into every game the rest of the season that this defense is good enough to win them games, not only against the teams like Washington and in Las Vegas, but against the best of the best in the NFL. Yeah. And something, yeah, we, I mean, we don't love PFF. I think it's just a digestible thing to talk about, to get us to our points. Like we use DVOA and, and, and EPA uh, more than anything on this show. So like just on a PFF basis, I think that it's just a matter of like an easy digestible starting point for people to, to look at and get a, get it, get it, get an easy to read score. And then from there, be able to dive in to see if that's actually true to see if the data or metrics support that, but on a grade to grade basis, it's not great. Uh, I mean, they have had Oliver way lower than he should be. Uh, Osiris Torrance, I believe, has played a much better football to them. I mean, they have um, some some you know Fuller from Washington as their top corner with with McDuffie. So like, yeah, there's there's definitely some things there that you know aren't accurate. But what is accurate? Are pressure rates, uh, you know, hits, uh, certain things that you're able to read, uh, offensive line and defensive line, so easily to read into to, to react stats. Um, and, and not necessarily just the grade. The grade is just a byproduct of what they believe. And a lot of the times it's interns and it's not always correct, but it is it is a matter of a starting point to have a discussion on things. I don't think it loses anybody's credibility, especially when you have data that brings up, uh, you know, we'll, I'll bring you up any EPA, SysStat you can think of, uh, as well as a DVOA situation. But Kevin, what is your way to beat the Dolphins in this game? Do you agree? You sit back and you hope for the best. You don't want to, you know, you know, get in a situation to where you're against these receivers in a, in, a, in a negative situation, or are you with me in a situation to where we watch this team sit back uh, against these top offenses? And what's one of the biggest criticisms that anybody has for McDermott and his team? Uh, what is your opinion of that, Kevin? What, where, where do you stand? Like, what, what, what is your way? If you were to think of a way, what do you want to do to beat the Dolphins? I think I'm on both sides here, but I lean more towards the aggressive side because I agree, Kevin, I'm sick and tired of this Bills defense, which is very talented, by the way. I'm sick and tired of watching them play that bend but don't break mentality and say, oh, here, take 80 yards down the field, but we're going to tighten up once we get into the red zone, and then we're going to hold you to a field goal. So, yeah, Tua, you can have 500 yards, but we're going to hold you to field goals all day. No, that, that that's got to stop because this defense – is very good at what they do and we've been seeing that the last three weeks but i think you have to have balance with everything that you do because if you're too aggressive then they will make you pay for it so i don't know if you guys are ready to get into this yet but i'm going to get into the specifics here about what i think the bills can do to try to balance that out and that is have kyer elam active this week i'm not saying he has to start i'm not saying he has to play over christian benford but i want to see some press man coverage And let me just get into some stats real quick. In the first matchup against the Dolphins last year, in 25 coverage snaps, Elam only allowed 10 yards on two receptions. And then in the December 17th matchup, 18 coverage snaps, 11 yards on two receptions. And then in the playoff game, he had that game-changing interception. And Tyreek Hill only had 69 yards on seven catches. Jalen Model 44 yards on three catches. So again, I'm not saying that Elam has to be the the savior this week. And Mike, going back to your point, 
from earlier in this show, I understand if he can't play against the previous three teams, then how do you expect to throw him out against arguably the best offense of the, in the NFL right now? But I think that this is a matchup-based league, and I really highly doubt that Elam is just going to ride the bench the rest of the season. So I think they're going to use him in certain degrees, and I think this is a week that you can get him in and use those physical attributes and his athleticism to your advantage. I'll dive in to start and then I'll go to Mike here in a minute, but I think, cause I'm in the middle here. So I see e equal sides, but I do trend that he's not going to play. So I am on that side, but I will say like, I like the biggest talking point of the NFL and what we hear about week one. And I hear about all these things is it's a week to week league and no week is the same. So maybe there's situations to where they believe in. There are numbers to your, that you read off that support um, that Elam is good in these situations and he has been good uh, in this game, but can you trust him in a pressure pack situation? Obviously, what do you do if things go wrong? You put back in Christian Benford, but how do you uh, negate the number two overall defense and take off pieces of the field because you think there might be a better matchup? Look, a good coach will do that if he thinks he wins the football game, but he looks poor. Uh, if it's a situation to where he makes that change and it's a pivotal problem in uh, in the game and then he's got to react in the third quarter and then do what he should have done to begin with. It might be the opposite, Kevin, to where I think there's a chance he's active. You've seen them rotate that final active sp spot with Puna Ford and with uh, Kingsley Jonathan. I think that they really trust what they're able to do with their defensive line so they don't have to go overly heavy there. So there might be a situation to where they can they can trust him maybe on a one week basis uh, or maybe even scratch Dane Jackson on a one off uh, and keep him there. And if Benford struggling, I think it's got to go that way. I think it's got to go the way of if Benford struggling, then you got to yeah. make a change. And if he's good, you don't make any change or good enough. But I do believe there could be a situation for Benford struggling. Um, you know, we need to make that switch and having him active could be a thing that happens uh, in this um, in this specific game. So I'm going to go with Mike's point now, cause I'm in the middle on it. I do lean that he's not going to be uh, effective, but I'm going to go to, uh, to Mike to see what, what he see, the problem. Say. The problem with what we just said is if you, first of all, you can't start him over Benford. No, because if you start him over Benford, you're basically saying, yeah, our defense is number two in DVOA. We almost just shut out a team and we've literally just held every team we've played to next to nothing. We've allowed 29 points on defense all season outside of, the, the punt return touchdown against the Jets. But yeah, we're going to make a change at our starting cornerback spot week four just because we think this guy has the speed to match up with Tyree Kill and he did it once last year. If, if you do that, that's a vote of confidence for Elam over Benford. What, what are you what are you telling the the secondary room there? What are you telling Benford? You're, you're telling Benford, well, we really like you except for when you're going up against a premier wide receiver and in that case, we might just bench you anytime we play somebody that's quick. I don't like that messaging, especially when Benford is played really well early on in the season and has shown he's reliable as, as a number two corner. The other problem, so you, you can't start Elam over him. The other problem is if you bench Benford to put Elam in, well, then you have the whole who's your cornerback two now going forward. Is Elam now your cornerback two? Is So then you literally create an issue that it will be cut over the team for the next month just to try to win one game. And then Kevin also brought up the other point. You bring up Elam, and what if he gets toasted? What if he goes up against Tyreek and he allows 175 yards on like 10 catches? Like 
then the whole secondary room is looking at you and being like, dude, we have gotten it done for three weeks in a row. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You show no faith in us. And then you put this kid that wasn't good enough to be a top four corner on our team. He gets toasted. And that's who you're putting your trust in? He's the number five corner on this team for a reason. We saw it during camp. We saw it during the preseason. He hasn't played well enough. He commits a ton of penalties. He is handsy. He grabs a lot. He's out of position. He's not in sync with the rest of the secondary. But we think just because he's a little bit faster and has some intangibles and he had one one good game last year, that suddenly he should be playing in football games that matter? Like, He's not good enough against go to go up against Johan Dotson. He's not good enough to go against Devontae Adams, but suddenly we're going to trust him against Tyreek Hill. I get it. Matchup specific game plan. I understand what everybody is saying, but those same people wanted him to be the cornerback too the whole offseason and couldn't accept that Benford, a six-round pick, is viewed higher in the room than what Kyer Elam is. He lost the job. They don't think of him the way they think of Benford. And I could be totally wrong. Like, honestly, Elam could play this game. Like, I could see him activated. And I could even see him playing in some games. But when we're talking about matchups, you guys are all talking about potential. Like, you're not – he's not – he hasn't played well. Like, you you guys are idolizing, like, what the best he can do. We're not talking about what the worst he can do. Yeah, sure, if he goes out there and he plays well, maybe he can can do somewhat okay. What if he goes out there and just gets lit up? You destroy that guy going forward. Like you destroy the team. You destroy a lot of things. Like I'll just leave it at this. It can happen. I won't be mad if it happens, but we're assuming a lot that the fifth corner on this team can match up against Tyreek Hill. Like that's what we're all literally saying. We're, We're saying that a second year player that can't see the field is going to be the one that goes up against the most dynamic player in the NFL. He did last year though, as a rookie, it's Skylar Thompson. Like, and yeah, yeah, he did the other game against Tua late in the year when Tua was starting to have some of his struggles. If we're not going to, if we're going to say the other games don't matter last year, as far as the matchup this year with certain things with the bills versus uh, the dolphins. And why are we going to say that one, that one matchup does, does matter. This Bills coaching staff is very blunt and straightforward with stuff. Like, they've been honest with so many things this offseason. And Brandon Bean has been upfront with so many things. We really think that deep down they're thinking, 
our fifth corner is going to match up with Tyreek Hill. Like, they don't think he's good enough to see the field against number three wide receivers. They literally have a sixth-round pick from last year ahead of him. If if Kyer Elam wasn't a first-round pick, he would have been traded already. He's only on this team right now because they're worried because they have to basically keep him because you can't trade him yet. And because, because you wouldn't get the value back and because they have to make sure Benford is truly good enough. If Benford, like he's basically here as an insurance policy. If Benford isn't the guy for the job, otherwise he wouldn't even be on the team anymore. I, I think what's very interesting about this, and we're going to get Kevin's rebuttal to you in a second, is um, the situation of how much... Okay, we just spent the first part of the show talking about what Bernard does well, right? And one of the things, aside from his RAS score, one of the things that Bernard does really well is he's he's in the right position. He's instinctive. He trusts his vision. He plays within the scheme, and he's moving back all pros like Matt Milano into better position. The one thing that I've been told that... Um, that uh, Elam does not do as well is any of those things. So some of the intangible things based on what I've heard from inside the team is he struggles in those decisions and he struggles with those uh, read and react to the grabby point. That's why he gets grabby. So those are some of the reasons why um, that it isn't just on the field in the one game off you mentioned against Skylar Thompson. And that's true. The, the matchup's a lot easier when you don't have a quarterback who can make the throws that Tua can make. Now, he did play good at in times last year, but it's because he had to. Benford was out hurt. You had D- uh, Dane Jackson in the lineup. You had Trey White coming in and out based on where he was with his rehab. He had to play last year, and I don't believe it was a situation to where I don't always know that the Bills were. They were playing Jamarcus Ingram, a guy that wasn't very good for a mid-major college football team who was schemed up to look pretty decent um in in those situations and he's getting better at a pick six in preseason this year good guy to have in your practice squad but that's what he is as a practice squatter uh that kept the bills active in the game i don't i don't remember if kyer went out and and ingram went in i think he did he get an in-game injury that i don't remember benford might have been benford either benford or kyer went down in that my first miami game to put in ingram i can't recall which rookie corner uh it was at the moment but either way I don't believe that you can you can make that precedent to a team at this situation that's number two in DVOA and very good in the metrics. I do believe there's a situation though to split the difference to where he could be active. And if there's any problems, he, he I'd much prefer to see what he can do in the second half over um, over Dane Jackson. And then from there, it's a situation. Mike's right. You will have to face the criticism of if he's so good, why didn't you play him for three and a half weeks? But I'd rather be there and win the game and or him look good than be in a situation to not try that. So I will split the difference with both of you in this situation. I agree with Mike, or I don't really think it's overly possible and it sends a horrible message, but I do believe you need a contingency plan because if some of Benford's limitedness shows up, um, then I want to be able to have a quick uh, quick plan for the second half. But guys, what I think more what will happen is if there was an issue today, I do believe, or excuse me, Sunday, I do believe you'll see Elam later on in the season at some point, and then maybe in the matchup the next time they play uh, uh, when that happens. But I don't know that they'll have a quick trigger, a uh, quick hook, as you call it, in, in baseball to take him out. Messaging is important in, in football. And I, and I get everybody like liking the matchup from that perspective. I, I honestly, that's one of the reasons I would be open to it and why I wouldn't like freak out completely. But you got to understand, like 
what do the Bills coaching staff, what do they, what have they always been talking about their entire time in Buffalo? It's about the culture. It's about how they built this team, built this secondary. McDermott, the reason he doesn't just start a six round pick over a first rounder because he wants to. Right. He believes that that six round pick works better in their defense. The way the Bills operate, they need all of their players to follow their responsibilities. That's what happens in a coverage-based nickel defense. If you're not going to play your zone, if you're going to miss your responsibilities, you are a bigger liability than someone that just gets beat every once in a while. The Bills don't have speedsters in their secondary, but why do they consistently have one of the best coverage secondaries in the league? It's because they have two safeties that are incredible at disguising coverage that are always in tandem, and they have – Corners like Trey and other players that are where they're supposed to be at the right time, which makes the lanes smaller and more difficult for quarterbacks to fit the ball. It's not about being man-to-man. Man-to-man, every corner in the NFL is getting toasted by Tyreek Hill. Every corner in the NFL. I don't care. Give me the fastest corner in the NFL. He's getting toasted by Tyreek Hill. So when I'm saying I don't want to play Kyrie Elam, it's not that I don't think Kyrie Elam can't eventually be okay. It's yeah. that I don't even think if Kyrie Elam has a good game most of the time against Tyreek, that he's going to be able to slow him down. Yes, he did in the past one time. That doesn't mean that if you played each other five times, that Kyrie Elam would be able to do that another three, four times. I think from a messaging standpoint, you need to have faith in, as a head coach in the players you're throwing out on the field. If you don't believe that Christian Benford is the right guy to to take down Kyrie uh, to take down Tyreek Hill or to line up against other guys like Jalen Waddle on this Miami offense, well then he's probably not the guy that should be starting on your defense to begin with. I, I think what we're really talking about right now is there's people that believe that because Kyrie Elam was a first round pick that he has a way higher ceiling than a guy like Christian Benford because he was a six-round pick. We're having the same conversation that we had with Dane Jackson last year and Levi Wallace the year before. We are having blind faith in a first-round pick because they have that, that potential. But the Bills coaching staff, the reason why they're playing Benford is they have trust in Benford. They believe Benford is going to execute the way they want him to. So, yes, we Kyrie Elam is probably the better man-to-man guy. But you can make an argument. Why are we playing man-to-man versus Tyreek Hill? Like that. Like that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like just because one person can do it doesn't mean that's the way you should defend this team. And really, what we've been saying all along is that the Bills probably need to get some extra pressure and get into his face. If they send an extra five, if extra guy, if they send two guys on random plays. No, you're going to need you're going to need to have a lot of trust in your secondary in those situations to to hold up. And from a coaching perspective, why are you going to play the guy that you have the least amount of faith in among your other corners? That's not messaging. That's horrible messaging. And and while we can't just suddenly say culture matters, but then say it doesn't matter because we want to play one guy that's a better matchup. That is being hypocritical. Like that that secondary room is tight for a reason. And I hope Kyir Elam, if he does play, plays great. But I, I just think we're not really thinking like coaches right now. We're thinking as fans. And 
you know, just one other thing that I want to say. I'm not saying that Elam needs to come in for Christian Benford and Benford's inactive. I think that they're, they should both be active, and I think Benford should still start. But to Kevin's point, I want to see them mix up the defense. I want to throw some different looks out there where it's not just, you know, cover two the whole time. Play some press man coverage. That's what you drafted Elam for. So, you know, Benford can start the game, and then you have some different packages where Elam can come in, get right up on the line of scrimmage, because there's a lot of pre-snap motion that the Dolphins are running right now. And I don't think that this is a time that you can just sit back and wait for them to make the move. You go make the move yourself. So you bring in Elam on certain packages, and I think you just need to find that balance because that's what the Patriots did with Christian Gonzalez. I mean, they played press man with Christian Gonzalez, a rookie corner from Oregon, and I'm not going to say he did a stellar job, but he was pretty solid against the Dolphins' offense that only scored 24 points that game. Christian Gonzalez is also having a phenomenal start to his rookie year and was widely regarded as a top 10 pick that fell into the teens. While Kyir Elam, before the draft process, most people thought was a second round grade who rose up to the first round because Brandon Bean was in cornerback or bust mode and basically reached to get the final guy he thought was around a first round grade. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not even putting those two players in the same category right now because one is a much better player than the other. I think what's what's interesting too in this in this in this debate is where where will McDermott fall? I hope somebody asks him a question, and I think you might come out tomorrow during his press conference. Uh, what what are you thinking about in this game? You know, I you know I hope a, an educated reporter might come out and say something like, "Hey, Elam's been good in the past against the Dolphins. Do you plan to have him in this game?" I just want to see his reaction, and then maybe I'll make some more opinions on it. But I don't believe. Um, it's crazy to have the guy active. I think Dane Jackson's limited. I don't think he does very much for you, especially in this specific game. Um, and I would like to see that swap happen at the very least. And if you want Dane, go ahead and inactivate Puna again. Um, but th- that's kind of my situation to where um, I do want to see him active. And if if you need to go to him, I don't think that that's crazy. And if it works out, he looks great for you. And if in the few snaps you see some vulnerabilities, then you don't put him back in the game. So I don't think that that's crazy. Um, I, I don't think you can at all mess with too many snaps from Benford. This 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 defense, by and large, has been increased on their snap counts. It hasn't really been a rotation anywhere, even a less of a rotation than normal from the defensive line alone. So I don't necessarily see in every other situation. But uh, I would like to have him active. I would have to like him active in a situation where Benford's not getting it done and or there's an injury. Uh, I prefer to have him in the game over Dane Jackson or anything else. So I, I don't think it's crazy to have a potential uh, situation where you see Elam. But I don't believe that um, uh, it's going to be one of those things to where all of a sudden you can plug him into the top three rated defense uh, in the league and uh, just just match up each week like, uh, you know, like, like a situation to where you might be playing college basketball. Spin and Ralph have some good points, too, here. Run support is going to be very key in this game. We keep talking about the passing game. Benford's passing elite. Passing game. Um, against Miami right now, uh, a chain is averaging nearly 10 yards per carry this season. Raheem Mostert's over six yards per carry. They are gashing teams on the ground right now. One of the reasons Kyer Elam is the fifth corner on this team is because inside the Bills' room, they didn't think he was good physically against the run and they didn't think that he was always the best tackler either. So if you're going up against a team like Miami, it's not just about containing Hill. It's about being physical in the run game. Go back to his college state. Kyrie Elam was not known for being physical in the run game and being good at tackling. He was a press man cover. 
and he could go up against some of the best, but he has a lot of, of other liabilities and a defense. He, he, like I said, he grabs, he commits penalties. He's not where he needs to be defensively most of the time. And he is not good against the run. These are the reasons why he is the fifth corner on the bills at this current moment. And against the Miami team, that's going to be, that's motioning right now. I think over 60% of the time, I think I saw a stat on social yep. media. Do you trust a corner it, and it, that hasn't played the first three games of the season in a game where communication is, among everyone on the defense is going to be ultra vital because of the motion, because of all the, the confusion that the Miami Dolphins offense brings to the table with the speed? Do we trust that Kyrie is going to be able to to keep his head on uh, on his shoulders and, and be able to step up in that type of situation? I feel like we're all focused on the speed and we're scaring ourselves. We're making speed the only priority. Speed is not the only thing that makes up a good football player. Um, so it's time. It's time for score predictions. We've talked about a lot of different points from the Commanders game all the way through uh, Bernard through to, to Elam and, and in between. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the Bills defense and rightfully so in this specific matchup, which is going to be huge. I think we trust the offense for the most part, but it's time to get in predictions. Going to tweet our graphic out for sure this time. Mike, this week we'll have it. Um, and we will uh, get our predictions. We're both, uh, me and Mike are both two and one. Kevin is still sitting three and one, or three and oh. So we're going to have to start. We're going yeah, to do our same situation, Mike, Kevin, then myself. Uh, these score predictions brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Check out all of their great artwork and what they're able to do the best of the worst. Mike, give us the uh, give us your score prediction and why. So my score prediction, I have the Bills winning 31-30. I think the Bills offense is, for whatever reason, not getting hyped up enough through three games this year. I think they've looked, honestly, pretty solid outside of the Jets game. I like that we're starting to uh, bring to basically uh, bring more of a run game to this offense. I like what James Cook is doing. The offensive line has been holding up way better than what most people would have expected early on in the season, not only in pass protection, but they've also been solid running the ball. Uh, love the depth behind with, with Murray Harris. I think this is a game where Stefan Diggs is going to get his. I think he's going to have a hundred plus yard performance. I think Gabe Davis is going to get some yardage uh, in this game. Miami is one of the worst teams in NFL through three games uh, defending opposing tight ends. This could be a Dalton Kincaid or Dawson Knox special. Uh, What's really interesting to me, really, from an offense going up against the Miami defense uh, perspective is that we've gotten so used to Miami with this cover zero and blitzing. Josh, the last two, three years where they really didn't believe they could slow him down, just dropping back. So what Miami has done in those years is they've been ultra aggressive, which has led to the Bills getting a ton of yards. But at times, Miami making some splash plays, which has kept them in these games. But Vic Fangio, I, we're probably going to see a little bit different approach from uh, the, the Dolphins defense and it's going to be interesting how the Bills go up against that and then defensively I do think the Bills have enough to to slow Miami down I'm not saying they're going to have a great day but Bernard being in the middle of the field and coverage I do think that's going to create a few issues at times for Miami they're, they're used to exploiting teams in the middle having Milano and Bernard two good cover linebackers that could create some issues I like the Bills secondary like I said, and, and the reason I, I, I'm kind of a little bit against Kyrie Elam is because I actually do feel good about uh, Trey White, Christian Benford, Micah Hyde, Taron Johnson, Jordan Poyer. I think the secondary, when healthy, is a top five unit in the NFL. 
So I don't feel the need to make drastic changes to one of the most dominant secondaries in the league over the past five seasons. This is an elite unit. I'm not worried about a a second-year player in this game. Like, this is an elite unit, and this D-line has been generating a ton of pressure so far. Uh, It's all about all three phases of this defense. I think the defensive line will be able to generate some pressure at times. I love the linebackers in coverage, and if they do send them, they have the instincts, and then the the secondary is going to be good enough to clean up the job. Close win, 31-30, Bills win, uh, go Buffalo. Okay, Kevin, bring us home. You're in the lead currently and three games in. So what what do you got for us and why? I have Buffalo winning 34 to 24. I think it is going to be close, but I think the Bills defense is going to show up and show out. And they're going to show the rest of the league that they are for real. And I think that Miami will get a touchdown late. But I think Buffalo is going to be in control of this game. I think the offense is going to do enough. And I think this is one of those games where the Bills are going to have another get-right game in the sense of we're back. And you can say that we're back after the Raiders and the Commanders, but to be able to beat the Dolphins at home to go to 3-1, and because let's not forget, the Dolphins are 3-0, and so if the Bills drop this game, they're two games back in the division already, two and a half with the tiebreaker. So this is a huge game, and I think the Bills are going to come out and I don't want to say stomp the Dolphins, but they're going to show the rest of the league why they are the team that has won the AFC East over the last three years and why they have a very good shot of winning it a fourth year in a row. Brought up a good point, Kevin. The Bills, this is a three-game swing. So you could either be up a half a game by the tiebreaker or you could be behind two and a half games based on the tiebreaker. You're talking about a three-game swing and effectively for an early season game. So that's pretty big analytically for, for an early you know, uh, generally games in, in September and October, they do end up counting just as much as games in November and December. It's, it's one of the biggest faux pas in baseball is what games in April don't matter. Uh, it's the same kind of thing here. They do matter, especially against the division in which you've already dropped one. You can't go to zero and two in the division. And I think the bills know that they're at home. Mike, uh, and Kevin, you guys have talked about how dominant they've been against the dolphins, uh, in, in their, in their history. And, and Kevin, you brought up the 2016 stat. I think there's something to that. I, I don't know that maybe, the Bills could go to Miami and drop one late in the year. We'll see what's at uh, what's going on at that point. But I have the Bills and, and a number that has been sticking out in my head for a little bit uh, a little bit of time now is thirty five to twenty seven. Uh, I do believe they get five touchdowns, and I think they're going to run the ball pretty effectively. But I do not have them playing quite the defense that they were able to do. Uh, I have that one timely aggressive interception that's going to set up. Uh, the fourth touchdown of the game to put them ahead, and then they'll score a touchdown late to 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 secure the thirty five points. But I think that that's a number that I've that I've thought about heavily in this in this game, and I think that there's a lot defensively that jumps out to it. It's a three game swing, no matter how you write it. You can say tiebreakers don't matter yet; they do um, because they will matter late in the year when you don't have it. So uh, especially with the loss of the Jets, I don't think this Dolphins team's going to get the get the. We're not going to get the luxury for this Dolphins team to lose to the Jets. By the way, I had the Dolphins as the only competitor to the Bills this season. And yes, it came at the expense of the, <laughs> the other best quarterback in the division. Uh, but that was some of the reason I picked that was I didn't think that Aaron Rodgers uh, would be able to to play 17 weeks of solid football. I didn't predict an Achilles injury, but I did I did not think that he would be able to keep it up. And that team is a tire fire. And I don't think it's well coached. And I don't think the Patriots are serious this year. I like some of the things they do defensively, but I don't think that they're overly serious. I always thought it would come down to what we saw last year uh, in this game. And 
Uh, the final the final point is how well will we see that we, we talked 10 minutes about it. Will Elam be active? That is something that I'm going to track uh, throughout the week because, you know, he has those games against Pittsburgh where they 13 targets, 10 receptions, 126 yards. He allowed against Kenny Pickett uh, last season in his first game uh, as a pro. But then you get those games uh, that we've all talked What's about. Your guess? Yes or no. Will he be? No. What's your guess? Syracuse. I'm going to say yes. And one thing I want to point out real quick. The Bills dressed nine defensive linemen last week. You could easily swap out Kyrie sure. Elam for Kingsley Jonathan. As much yeah. as you want to get that rotation on the defensive line, you can go four defensive ends, four defensive tackles, and then just simply have Kyrie Elam there for certain situations. Yeah, of course. I, I, I'm on the fence. I know I said everything I said, but I, I really do think it's a 50-50 that regard of if Elam could be active or not. I don't think he's starting regardless. No, My biggest yeah. thing is this, Kevin, is we saw in camp Elam was behind not just Benford, but also Dane Jackson. Is it still that way at one Bills drive? If he's still behind Dane Jackson and Benford, he's not going to be active on, on Sunday. If he has elevated himself beyond Dane Jackson, well, then there's a chance on Sunday. But there's, in my opinion, if he's still the fourth outside corner, then he's not. Then he's not going to be active. But I, I'll say, I'll say no for now. But I do think it's fifty-fifty. Okay, there you have it. Well, we brought you a special Kyir Elam segment. It is something that's much talked about. I will tweet out some stats of this game uh, about what Elam's done against Miami later, and some advanced analytics there. Kevin's got some good points there on Elam, but ultimately. I'm saying no to him playing in this game, but I do think there's a chance he's active. So my no is for him playing. Um, whether he's active or not remains to be seen. I think that there's a chance that he is. Uh, but from the Going Deep podcast on the Cover One Sports Network, brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us uh, for almost two hours. Uh, disguise coverage coming up next here on the Cover One Sports Network. But from Kevin, Mike, and Kevin, we'll see you right here, 7 o'clock next Tuesday to break down the Dolphins game and talk about little bit of London and Jacksonville. And another prediction that I may have hit on is how good is Jacksonville. So there's a lot to talk about, and we'll be back at it uh, next week at 7 p.m. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you've been hurt by a truck, you can call Colombo Law 24-7 and we'll be there to make sure you're taken care of. When someone is hurt by a truck, Colombo Law is the law firm people call to get answers. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law.